All right, it's great to see everybody this morning. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The song that we just sang uh, really well articulates much of what we're going to be looking at or, or really puts to lyrics what we will be looking at this morning, what we'll find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. After I've read this passage, I want to share with you a message entitled, Obligations in the Church. Alright, so 2 Thessalonians, beginning at verse 13. Again, we're working our way through First and Second Thessalonians, so the reason we're here today is because we're preaching through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and this is the text that we could say God has for us this morning from his word beginning at verse 13 the word of the lord reads like this but we are bound to give thanks to god always for you brethren beloved by the lord because god from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now in verse 16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope, by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. May the blessings of the Lord be upon the reading of his word today to our hearts. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, we come to you as God, our Savior. Lord, we thank you that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Father, we know that grace has appeared in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, who himself gave himself for us, that he might redeem us. And Lord, today as we look at this passage, I ask you, Lord, give me grace, give me help, give me strength to deliver this message to your people. And I pray, Father, As I've already prayed, but I pray for myself, for them, that you would give them grace to be able to hear your word and to receive it as it, not as the word of men, for it certainly is not that, but it is the word of God. And Lord, today, I ask you to bless it, bless the preaching of it to our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Obligations in the church. Uh, if, you, if you look at this in verse 13, it says that, but we are bound. And then down at the bottom of my Bible on the same page, another translation for that is under obligation. But we are under obligation. That's why I got the title that I got for this and three points derived from it, from these verses. Um, one commentator quoted a Denny. Uh, as rightly putting it here that 
This is a system of theology in miniature. What we find, particularly in verses 13 and 14, is a system of theology in miniature. But really, it is the entire passage that gives us this theology in miniature. Not only our salvation and our initial coming to Christ, but then our remaining in Christ and how we are to live out our lives. And then finally, at the end, uh, the one who supplies us the ability to do this. So it's all here found within this text of Scripture. And I look forward to working through it together with you. The first thing that we're going to see here is that the first obligation is to thank God always. Now, as we work through this first verse again, but we are bound, again, that means under obligation, uh, to give thanks to God always. So you see my first point right there. You notice who he's giving thanks for. He says, for you. So the Apostle Paul, the one who founded this church, who brought the gospel to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17 is where it's recorded. And I think it says many or a multitude believed on the Lord Jesus Christ there. And so this church is founded and now he's writing back to them probably within a couple of years of them coming to know Christ as their Savior. And he's written to them about some hard-hitting stuff in the first two chapters of Second Thessalonians and certainly um, as well in First Thessalonians. But he is thankful always to God for them, for this church, which uh, has been established there and ultimately which God has brought about in Thessalonica. He calls them brethren in verse 13. For you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. And we might think of 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And so he knows that they are loved by the Lord. Now, why would he give thanks to God? The reason, as we're going to see, that he would give thanks to God is because ultimately, church, salvation is of the Lord. And we see this displayed and articulated in this passage of Scripture. Two reasons here. First of all, we see that God chose. In verse 13, God chose. Now, let's just kind of work through this. All right, so uh, here's what we see. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. All right, so let's uh, look at this. What does he mean by from the beginning? All right, does it mean from the beginning of their salvation? from the beginning when he went to Thessalonica. Paul doesn't tell us exactly what beginning means here. But we might get an idea of this in some other passages. And why don't we take a glimpse at them together. If you'll turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Some of you might suspect that we would turn here, but let's do that because it's important to do this because we see in this probably what Paul means by beginning. And and either way, we can see that it's God who's doing it from the get-go. Verse 4, Ephesians 1, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, I'll point out to you in this, before the foundation of the world. Maybe that gives us some idea. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. 
We're going to turn to a few places real quick this morning. Second, Second Timothy 1, verse 9. This is a powerful passage of Scripture here. If you're not familiar with this in, first, in 2 Timothy 1, I commend it to you to spend some time here. But in verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says about God and the power of the gospel. Verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when? Before time began. This blows our minds to think of this. But before time began, God had given us or, or this, this salvation, this gospel, this calling was not according to our works. And we know it wasn't according to our works because God determined it before time even began. So it is a pre-time determination of God to save. Now, another that I would uh, ask you to turn to is Titus chapter 1. This is another pastoral epistle. Titus 1 verse 2. And um, we'll go ahead and read verse 1 and 2. Titus verse chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God promised this before time began. I wonder who did He promise that to before time began. And then the last one, one more, Romans 16, verse 28. Romans chapter 16, verse 28. Sorry, probably should have had you go to this one early on. but um, So we could stay in order there. But uh, Romans 16, verse 25. Bible reads there, now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. So this is a secret that had been kept among the Godhead since before time began, that God then reveals in Christ and in the preaching of the gospel. Now, you might, we might ask the question, why would God do this? And I just happened to be reading through uh, the, go- the gospel of John chapter 17 this week in my New Testament class. And in here a verse jumped out to me. At the end of verse 24, I'll read the whole verse. You can just listen. But Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer. And he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. And then he adds something at the end of this verse that 
I had to think about for a moment, but he says, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. How is it that God could choose from the beginning, from before time began, from before the foundation of the world, His elect? He did that in Christ and because of His love for Christ. And when Christ came and died, He came and died to save His people from their sins. So we see in this that God takes the initiative in salvation. He certainly took the initiative. Because He he did not do it because of our works. He did not do it because of the family you were born into. He, He did not do it because any works of righteousness which we have done. But God did this according to His plan and because He loved us. We see initiative. In going back to 2 Thessalonians verse 13, from the beginning chose you for salvation. The second thing we see in this is the enacting of salvation. This is the second part of verse 13. Not only did God take the initiative in salvation, He was the prime mover in our salvation, but also we see that there is an enacting of it. There are some things that had to happen for salvation to occur. There are some things that had to happen for you. There are some things that had to happen for me. And there are things that must happen for anyone who will come to believe in Christ. And there were some things that had to happen for everyone who has believed in Christ before us. Two of them are listed here. At the end of verse 13, he says that this choosing you for salvation was through the salvation happened through sanctification by the Spirit. The word sanctification, again, at the bottom of my Bible, it means being set apart. So there's something here that had to happen to change us positionally. You see, there is a sanctification, and we've already seen this in 1 Thessalonians 4, that is a progressive sanctification, where he's talking to the church. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And he tells the church this. Church, it is the will of God for you to be sanctified, to grow in holiness. But here, he says that this is sanctification of the Spirit positionally. Meaning that the Spirit of God calls us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And here we see the Spirit of God sanctifying those who were dead in their sins and awakening them that they might have life unto God. You see, John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, Jesus said. John 6, 63. So there's a sanctification of the spirit. This had to happen. Folks, if you don't have the spirit of God, you are not a child of God. And without the work of the spirit in us, we as dead sinners cannot awaken ourselves to God. There is one who must quicken us. One who must make us alive. Ephesians 2. And the Spirit of God does that. But we see the second aspect of this is belief in the truth. That had to happen. 
There are no unbelievers who are Christians. Y'all understand that? When you come to the doctrines of election, it's hard to swallow for some folks. I think most of our folks here, you know, you're at least friendly to it. Most, most folks agree with it. But most everybody here is friendly to it. Um, we know everyone's not friendly to it. But listen, in, in election and in God's choosing, that does not mean the person does not believe. I have talked to believers who, who say that, oh, God's elected, therefore we don't even need to go and preach the gospel to anybody because He's going to save His elect. That is not what God has said in His Word. God has said that we are to go with the gospel. We are to preach the gospel. And those who believe are saved and they will not be put to shame. See, there is a belief in the truth that has to occur and that will occur for all those whom God chooses. Because this salvation that He chose us for in the beginning happens through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. Make sense? Alright, now, um, so that's the initiative in salvation, the enacting of salvation, but then let's uh, see this part, uh, God called. We see in verse 13 that God chose. In Verse 14, we see that God called. Now, let's, look, let's work through this verse. Verse 14. To which He called you. Now, I'm understanding the to which there to mean to salvation. To which, that is salvation. He called you by our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first part. To which He called you by our gospel. Again, that goes back to what I just said. Folks, the gospel must be preached. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. If you would please turn there with me. Romans chapter 10. I'm taking more time on this first part than I will on the next two points, I promise. Uh, Romans chapter 10. Because again, for those who may draw their sword at folks like most of us who are friendly or embrace the doctrines of predestination and election, and God's choosing some to salvation. Some may draw their sword and say things like, we believe that the gospel doesn't have to be preached, or anything along those lines. And I say to you, put your sword away because you're wrong. We do believe that the gospel must be preached. Unless the gospel is preached, a lost sinner will not be saved. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And that means this morning, if you are an unbeliever, if you're lost in your sin, the gospel today is the power of God unto salvation for you. There is no other means, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you or I will be saved. It is only through the name of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins, who was buried in a borrowed tomb and He rose again on the third day and He appeared alive. He is alive still today at the right hand of God and gives eternal life to those who believe in Him. And that gospel must be preached. And here's what what the writer Paul says in Romans chapter 10 if you'll look at verse 14 with me. It says, How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? In other words, in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse 14, how then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We see it there. 
that the calling of a person on the Lord can only happen if they hear the message of the gospel. And the only way they can hear the message of the gospel is through the preaching of the word of God. I don't hear I don't hear Paul say anything about dreams. I don't hear him say anything about visions. That might happen somewhere if God determines to do that. But the primary means through which the gospel gets out to the world is preaching it to those who are lost. To preaching it to those who are saved. Do you know how many Christians out here in our society today need someone to witness to them? You know why they need somebody to witness to them? So that they can have boldness to go and witness to somebody else as well. So that they, through your example... Through you opening your mouth would be encouraged themselves to open their mouth and tell somebody about Jesus. We ought to be a people who are ready and willing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our society. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Did you not know that through the gospel that you and I preach, God is calling lost sinners to himself? We must preach it. We must share it. We must speak it. You see, there's two things here. There's an invitation to salvation in this calling of God. There's an invitation to salvation. But in this calling of God in the Bible, we see a general call. General means that the gospel goes out. Many are called, but few are chosen. But we see also in this that there is a particular call. What that means is when the gospel goes out, it's going to fall on some ears and it's going to be it's going to be um, taken away by the devil. It's going to be the aroma of death to them. But for some, as the gospel is preached, the devil will not come and snatch it away, but it will fall on good ground and that ground will bear fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold. 30-fold, and it will be to them an aroma of life. So our job, our responsibility is to preach the gospel and let the Spirit of God sanctify the people that He determines to sanctify. And they will believe. All right, so... General call, and there's a particular call. And they also see in this the inheritance of salvation. Y'all see why this is a theology miniature, system of theology miniature? Now, i got to turn back there. Second Thessalonians verse 14 at the end of it. To which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 14 is what we're looking at now. Look at this and soak it in. According to verse 14, why did God call you by the gospel? I want everybody to put your eyes on it, please, at the end of verse 14. Why did He call you by the gospel? Why did He call us? You may feel like a scumbag a lot of your life. I don't know. But I want you to know, in Christ, God has called you 
to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may think that you're the greatest thing that's come along since sliced bread. I want you to know, you ain't seen nothing yet. God has called you to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. We are going to take part in it. You might remember at the end of chapter 1, please look at it, at the end of chapter 1, verse 10. He says, When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. And then in verse 12, That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, I don't think we can, we can even begin to wrap our heads around what the Word of God is telling us here about the glory that we're going to be able to take part in. We're going to shine forth like the sun, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13. Going back to that high priestly prayer that I, I told you struck me this week as I was reading through this, verse 24. Again, it's the one I read earlier, but I want to read the, the first part of it. He, Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us today. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. He prays for all His believers, all who come to faith according to the message that's preached, that they, that we would behold His glory. What an inheritance. So that's what it is, the glory of our Lord. All right, so that takes us through the first point. Thanks, thank God always. Y'all think we should thank God always for one another and for the work that He's done in our lives? We absolutely sure. If you're ever praying for this congregation, you're like, Lord, I just don't even, can't even think of anything to pray. <laughs> just thank God that He chose you from the beginning, chose us from the beginning for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth and that He called us by the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God and praise Him for that because He is worthy of it. So we're obligated. All right, we're obligated. Now, as an extension of that, uh, well, let me, let me, I forgot I had that last one in there. Christian, this is what your salvation's made of. All right, get this. What we find here in verses 13 and 14 is in miniature what your salvation and my salvation is made of. You may say, I don't, I don't feel that. Put your feelings to the side and believe the Word of God. You may say, I don't understand that. Put your understanding aside and believe the Word of God. And it will shape your feelings and it will shape your understanding. Theology is faith seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding. We believe what it says and we seek to understand it. But we believe first of all. Uh, point number two, stay, stay the course. Stay the course. So all this has been given to us. All this has been said about our salvation. And uh, now Paul goes going on. We, going on to, we are going on to verse 13, verse 15. He says, Therefore, brethren, 
Uh, therefore is therefore something. It's there because of what was just stated in verses 13 and 14. And coming right out of that promise of our obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So, therefore, and then we see that he says two things. Stand fast. In the storms of persecution, in the storms of tribulation, in those hurricane winds, spiritual winds of, uh, of uh, false teaching, stand fast. And not only stand fast, but you hold to it. Hold to Paul would say in other places, the gospel and be not moved away from it. So he says, stand fast and hold to traditions. Really, Paul? Why didn't you say gospel here? That would have been a lot more simple to understand. What are you talking about with these traditions? A tradition is a little homespun, I guess, definition that I'll give you here. A tradition is a practice or belief that is handed down from one person to another. Or you might say from one group of people to another group of people. Alright, so that's basically what the word tradition means here. Tradition is a practice or belief that is handed down. It can also mean the teachings. So it can mean the teachings. Alright, now, their traditions came in two ways. What were the two ways that they came? Y'all see it in the verse, verse 15? All right. By word and letter, or word and epistle. All right. So the traditions that they were to hold to were given to them by spoken word, and they were given to them by the written word. That's pretty simple and clear. So we might say, Paul, what, what are all these traditions? Does it mean there's supposed to be a first Sunday fellowship meal on the first Sunday of every month and you take the Lord's Supper then? Or does it mean that there's supposed to be Christmas plays and there's supposed to be revival services in spring and fall? And that when everyone leaves, you're supposed to say, peace be with you, that we're supposed to have va- vacation Bible school in the summer? And that we are supposed to have a particular style of music. It's all supposed to be traditional or it should all be contemporary or that there should be a blended service with both. Where you sit ought to be a tradition and even the exact order of service. All of these things are traditions that we are to hold to. Is that what Paul's talking about? Do you all find any of that in the written word of God? Let me ask you something, though. Do you find anything about the church fellowshipping with one another and breaking bread together? Yes, you do. Hold that tradition. Do you find anything about taking the Lord's Supper? Yes, you do. Hold that tradition. You see how it can go? Do you find anything about loving one another? Absolutely. Let brotherly love continue. Hold that tradition. Those are the traditions which we ought to hold to. Those traditions which are clearly derived from or expressly written in Scripture. All else is negotiable. If this is not the case, man becomes the authority in the church and not God in His Word. Second Peter 1 says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Overseers in a church 
are to keep watch over the church to ensure that the church not, does not begin to go down this slippery slope that could lead to self-righteousness and even legalism. So we have to keep a careful watch on that. And the entire church ought to be aware of that. We ought to hold to the traditions as we take them from Scripture, the written Word of God. All right, so we better move on from there. Traditions can be, can be bad. Can be bad. But not all traditions are bad. We, we find them to be a negative thing at places in Scripture, but not always. And this is a case of not always. Now, I have in my notes here, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, see this verse, and I have it emboldened with all capital letters. So we better see it before we move on from this. All right, so 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 says, you should see it right there in the next column or on the next page. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. All right. Now, um, you know, this passage, verse 15, as interesting as it is being plugged in there, should remind us of something. Complacency is not an option, even in light of God's purpose from eternity being fulfilled in our salvation. There is no mindset of letting go and letting God. Paul says, stand fast, and hold the traditions. So we must continue to do that. Being chosen for salvation is no licensee for complacency. No licensee. No license for complacency or laziness. It is no license for that. Those are big words that so might take a minute to write that. Complacency or laziness. Stand fast, church. Hold to the traditions. Read your Bibles. Know what God says in His Word. The new year's coming up before you know it. Read your Bible. Plan to read your Bible and to know God through His Word. All right, let's go point number three as we wrap things up. Expect more. We're obligated. We're obligated to give thanks to God always. We are... Uh, obligated to stay the course. And finally, we're obligated to expect more. We see this in verses 16 and 17. Let's, let's work through this together. Um, verse 16. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father. Now, this is an opposite arrangement of what you find in 1 Thessalonians 3.11. Because there he says, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. The himself there is added for its intensive, its intensity. Now notice in verse 16, where after it says, uh, Father, the word who is there. It's singular. Who has loved. The verb loved is singular. And given. The word given is singular. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out is he says, 
our Lord Jesus Christ and our, our God and Father. You would think it would be plural. The who ought to be plural, but it's not. It's singular because of the oneness of the Godhead. The oneness of the Father and the Son. So, the Father and the Son, singular, have loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. So what do we see here in the first part of this? We can expect more because after all, God has already given us eternal consolation, eternal comfort in Christ. We may go through this life and we have struggles and many of you through the sacrifices of your life and the determination to do the will of God. You're not living a comfortable life now, but I want you to know that God has promised and he has given us eternal encouragement and consolation in Jesus Christ. So if you don't have it now, don't worry about it. This is just a this is, you're just a, a vapor and a breath and a shadow, but there's eternity of comfort and encouragement. And we have this good hope of grace. He's given us good hope by grace. I don't know if we have the good hope because of all the grace that is before us, or if we have the good hope because of the grace we've already experienced, or if it's just all around all the time, the grace of God in our lives. And because of it, we have a hope that is living and lasts Until we see Christ face to face. So after all. God's already given us these things. Now. In verse 17. So he's given. Has has given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Verse 17. Comfort your hearts. Now we may have lost this. But you notice what he says. At the beginning of verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ. And our God and Father. Comfort your hearts. And establish you in every good word and work. So we expect he will also give these two things. Comfort now. And strength for every good word and work. You know, I said that a while ago about struggling now, difficulty now, and the promise of eternal consolation. Isn't this cool? That he says now, even in the midst of persecution, tribulation, false teaching, like the first Thessalon- like they were the Thessalonians were facing, may God give you comfort now. Even as you seek to live for Christ and do his will, though it is hard. He is able to comfort us now in that. And to give us those two things. Strength. Or that one thing that gives us the ability to do those two things. Strength for every good word and work. Now, is that the last slide? I think it is. Yep. So. The strength for every good word and work is given to us that the church might talk the talk and walk the walk of one who has been called by God into His own kingdom and glory. 
What he's dealing here with is not only our saying, but also our doing. That's neat because I can't think of a lot of places where good words are brought in. We know a lot about good works, right? The Bible talks about good works a pretty good bit. But as far as good words, that's pretty cool because that lets our lives line up. What we say and what we do match. And God alone can give us the strength for this to happen. Thank you for your attention today. I hope that's a blessing to you to hear this uh, theology in miniature and to be reminded of these obligations that we have. Thank God always. Stay the course and expect more because we serve a God who loved us and has given much to us. Let's pray together. Lord, I am grateful for your word myself. I know your people are as well. As um, Lord, we've heard this passage proclaimed today. I pray that we would remember it and live according to it. Father, I pray that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ himself And our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, Lord, I pray you would comfort our hearts and establish us for every good word and work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.